How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy. Uh, are you? Are we recording right now? We're recording. Is this the oh, show? Oh man, this is this. We're recording. Yeah. We are officially recording. Right. How's your day? How's your week? My a good, you know, pretty pretty good. I would say. Uh, tired. I'm very tired. I feel like that's going to be a general theme when I talk to you. Yeah, that could be one of the themes of the show. Well, yeah, I have like a, you know, you know, like my commute right now is ridiculous. And today, especially like. It's about 20 hours long. (laughs) The commute? Yeah. That's why you got the car that can follow the other cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like, but it took me two hours to get home today. That is two, that two hour, two hours to get home. That's too much. That's too much, right? Uh, Too much. Yeah. How, what, what time, is that the absolute worst time of day or is it just like, there's nothing you can do. That's the way it is. Today? No, that's almost the worst time like i it kind of like th- i feel like th- we're recording on a thursday and i feel like thursdays for some reason are just a really bad day and so typically i come home later on a thursday uh but you know we were doing this so i was trying to be on time and, and whatnot but like i yeah like i mean the 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 shortest it ever gets is like maybe an hour and five hour and ten and the longest it's ever been is three hours but that was like i think very special circumstances like that's not that's pretty uncommon you should get you should get some like tech people on this problem there's gotta be a solution <laughs> i think i need like a personal drone to fly me around yeah or if we could put some tunnels underneath the bay or something should we explain who the heck we are <laughs> yeah okay yeah that's a good idea so fun uh, fact yeah we have a new podcast yeah that's what that's what we're doing here that's yeah, what i was told i'm alan pike and I'm Arik Devins. And uh, Arik's idea was that we should have a podcast where we share fun facts with each other. Yeah, I just thought that you and I are both people who are known to ramble a little bit. <laughs> there's some rambling. There's some ranting. Yeah, from time to time. From time to time. And uh, and whenever we hang out, we tend to co-ramble. <laughs> and share fun facts with each and other. Sh- and share fun facts with each other. And I just, you know. Uh, so we thought we would try recording it. I think mostly, for me at least, it was a good excuse to talk to you more i don't we don't talk that often yeah i think that's true and that's kind of that's one of my motivations as well um and so we'll take turns we'll share facts and then we've got it set up so if people want to like share their own facts or they want to criticize our our claims uh or the things that we never we get wrong uh then we have funfact.fm and at funfact.fm on twitter and people can can send us tweets and and messages and stuff yeah, or or for sure, if there's something like you think is really fun that you want that you're hoping we'll like also find fun, and then we'll talk about how you found it fun, and then we found it fun, and then everyone will find it find it fun. We're like super excited about that. That could be cool, but you know what they're gonna actually do? What they're gonna tell us when we're wrong? Oh, they're gonna tell yeah, they're gonna tell us when we're, we want to be told when we're wrong. Yeah, I think actually that's true. We both really enjoy. I actually really like being told when I'm wrong, and right I increasingly realize that not every. I mean. Of, is, it makes sense that not everyone is like that but like i really really engage like oh okay someone's giving me actual feedback about even maybe i'm instinctually defensive but like i, I find that always very motivating i'm like okay i want to try and be less wrong no i'm super motivated by by because i want to be right <laughs> well i mean i want to i want no, to be not a, wrong because that's like, a joke i want to be not wrong i don't want to be right i want i want to know what i'm talking about maybe i don't know i just want i like feedback i just feel like you can't i'm all about personal improvement or whatever and you know obviously it depends a lot on who's giving the feedback and how it's being given and uh and all of those kinds of things but uh but you and i both do appreciate neither of us are like uh allergic to someone saying you know what this detail this was wrong yeah so hopefully people will, will give us feedback we'll see how it goes yeah and bear with us everybody obviously this is you know we're new hopefully we'll we'll get better at this i hope yeah well maybe we're already amazing we just don't know yet because oh maybe we're like we're amazing. starting i doubt it but but I have a fun fact for you, Alan. Okay, what's your fun fact? My fun fact is that we were this was not we were supposed to have already made this episode. This is true. This should have been this should have been our second. This should be our second episode, but it's not our second episode, and you don't yet know why. But I want to tell you why. I'm excited. Yeah. Lay it on me. <laughs> so so we were supposed to record like a week ago, and very I really appreciate your. Um, willingness to roll with the punches quite close to when we were supposed to record i texted you and said i'm sorry i have an emergency i can't do it and what had happened was that we have we had house guests visiting and uh and they needed to go uh for those of you who don't uh, well i live in in northern california in the uh, beautiful city of oakland california and some house guests came to visit and they needed to go to some place in marin california like a place called san rafael which is probably like oh, maybe 20 25 miles from here and uh just to be clear you're doing the most 
California thing, which is like you're starting a story by talking about the commuting and driving necessary. <laughs> for the, well, it's well, extremely we relevant the, to the story. The, took the 280 to get to it. is extremely relevant to the story, okay, but I I'm, agree with you. Well, the, okay. because what happened was we, we, we lent uh, them one of our car. We lent, my wife lent them her car, and she drives a, an electric car. And they had never driven an electric car before, but she kind of like showed them how it works and stuff. And she drives an electric car that doesn't go that far, but it, it, it goes more than 22 miles, obviously, because that would not be very useful. It goes like maybe 80 miles. And when and she it has an app, you know, she can see where it is and what's going to happen. So you got to have an app. It's, it's 2018. So so anyway, they borrowed the car and they took off for this conference they were going to this 22 mile away drive. And when they got there, she just wanted to make sure they were OK. So she looks in her app. And it said that they had 17 miles of range remaining. That's not enough miles. That's First of all, it's not enough miles. But also to get from 80 to 17 over 22 miles is, I would think, you know, difficult. Um, even if you don't know how to drive an electric car, which like the first time I ever drove it, I think I probably would have used, I probably would have been down to maybe 40, right? I would have used 50% of the range to go 20 miles. But the car was at 17 miles. And uh, so we couldn't figure out what's going on. And they didn't have any cell phone service. They were visiting from Europe. And so we couldn't ask them and this and that. And when we finally got a hold of them, they said that there had been smoke coming from the car. That's bad. That would be bad, except that it's an electric car. So there's not really any way for there to be smoke coming from the car. Well, I mean, in theory, like the, I would say by far, probably I would think the most likely would be, it makes me think of like lithium batteries, but I feel like that wouldn't be a little bit of smoke. If it's like, if there's lithium battery smoke, the car is done. Yeah, so I Googled that, or actually I duck duck goat it to be more specific because <laughs> I'm a nerd. But I, uh, I I searched it, and it was like, if there's smoke coming from your electric car, it's going to like explode. Yeah, right? like you're you're gonna <laughs> like, you run away now. Yeah, that's what my thought was. Given that it hadn't exploded, we I thought, okay, well that's probably not what it is. Hmm. And then uh, and then and then and I want to make it very clear, that none of this is any. This is just a bad set of circumstances. Like they didn't do any of this on purpose. Obviously, they didn't purposely let fi- set fire to your car. No, it, it, and they didn't even not on purposely set fire to the car. <laughs> what what ended up happening was that they uh, drove most of the way there with the parking brake on. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and yep. at some point the parking yep. brake disengaged yep. itself, or just wore out, <laughs> or just wore out. But so we we I got there, and so I had a battery, so I had, <laughs> twice as much battery. I, oh yeah, and I had exactly because you're just actively trying to stop the car while you're trying to drive the car. So, uh, but it's this electric motor that has all the torque that it can like push infinite torque to do this. So uh, so I drove out there in no. my car to go. Uh, you know, rescue them and see what was going on with the car. And, and when we got there, uh, and I started up the car, like it just smelled of burning rubber. (laughs) It was so bad. And the regenerative braking, like, I don't know if people know about electric cars, you know, when you're not actively driving it, it's recharging the battery. Yeah. And, uh, it was completely off. So, Hmm. so I was like, wow. Okay. So, and you know, and they felt awful. And obviously, like I said, this is not about making them feel bad. They, 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 this is just a, a, goofy unfortunate circumstance you know technology changes quickly and and we, we can forget if, you, if you're used to something back in the day like with older generation of cars you could just drive around with the emergency brake on all the time and it'd be fine it's but not a good fancy thing to do no, it's not a good thing to do but like i feel like the car would either like yell at you or like you would definitely notice right like you couldn't drive that i mean i did it before but not for not probably not over the freeway <laughs> but i oh apparently like it did it disengaged at some point and then something else happened like we don't really exactly know but mm-hmm. at any rate uh, i took it to the volkswagen dealership and they were and they called the next day and they're just like what <laughs> like we what did you do <laughs> we, to this car it, exactly and they're like we need to do all this stuff and we don't even have the parts because no this never happens <laughs> like we've never had to do a brake job on one of these cars because you don't need it it's an electric car so like it took forever to get it back and 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 everything like that. It, it is back now and it, it seems to be fine. But they they said that um that the it, the brakes had gotten so hot that like the glue had melted away and the rotors <laughs> had like turned purple and warped and like shriveled up. So it's really impressive. And I but it may the thing is it just like I said it makes me think about the fact that like we've we've had this car for a while so we're like used to it. But if you're coming you know the future like we're in one of those uh, one of those periods where technology is changing really quickly and uh, and so I think it can be. You have to remember that, like, not everyone lives in the Bay Area or even where you live. It's pretty tech savvy, you know. Um, you got to have an open mind to other people may not have experienced emergency brakes before. Well, they may not have experienced emergency brakes in an electric car, which work fundamentally differently than a non-electric car. 
the thing that blew my mind is the first, I don't even know, the first time I tried to drive a car that had, I think actually they, maybe this is all automatics, but I learned on like a manual transmission, sure. this business of like sometimes where you can't take the key out unless you're in park. And so oh. I like stop the car and like every once in a while you forget to put the car in park. And and so I would expect it to, to you know, have some beep or something. But instead mm. I just try to pull the key and it just is locked there. Mm. And I'm like, uh... I, I need the key though. Wait, but why? Why would you be able to do that in a manual car? Why would you be able to take the key out of the ignition it, when it's still driving? No, no, no. So okay, <laughs> here's, here's the situation. I drive the car and then I park the car and I'm in the car. It is stopped, but there's like a there's like a driver switcher. That's the technical car term, the driver switcher. So you can switch in between driving and parking. Yeah. And I haven't switched it, but I'm currently parked. Right, but I'm saying in a manual car, if you took the key out while you were still in drive, there's no drive. In it. Oh, there's no drive. So you're just well, in like the car's like off. First to be clear, gear. the car is off. I've How is the car? The... Oh, you turned it off. I turned the car off. It's happy to. You can turn it off when it's in drive. That you doesn't can turn mind. it off in drive. So you're in drive. So I'm in drive. <laughs> the car is off. The car is off. I got And you. then it's like, okay, I've got my keys. I turn off the lights, and then I, I got to get the keys out of the ignition. And it's just like, no, sorry, computer says no. And I'm like, why though? Like, I need. I need, I, need so I, like, I can turn I the car back these. on and then off again and still can't get it out. And eventually it's like, oh, that's an extremely passive aggressive way of saying, dude, the car's not in park. Why wouldn't um, the car just tell you? I guess the car couldn't tell you it was not in park at that time. Well, it was off. Right. But it couldn't tell you it was, it was still sitting in drive. I feel like another thing it could have done is if you turn it off that like it beeps if it's in drive until you make it not in drive. Yeah. I feel like cars just beep at you when they're annoyed. They beep for many reasons, and this could have been one of them. Um, but instead, it just no, it just locks and uh, bees very, very obtuse. So my car, my car, not only does it beep if if my seatbelt's not buckled in, the driver, but it also beeps if anyone else in a seat is not buckled in, and it tells you which seat. And it does it in like this really funny way where it's like you might want to check this seat because it seems like maybe you're not buckled in. The back passenger side. Yeah, seat. exactly. Like one of the back passengers is it's not. It's got butt sensors. It does. It does. It has butt sensors and it knows and it says it'll be like, you might want to look at the, I mean, you know, investigate the right. I forget what exactly what it says, but it's like very like worded in a way that's supposed to be like, you know, basically it's saying like, you're an idiot, but like in a really <laughs> You may nice want to consider being that, you know, the situation. We're not yeah. calling you an idiot. You, we, we're not calling you an idiot, but like clearly you're an idiot. So we're just going to help you <laughs> like be less of an idiot. Have you encountered the tech support version of that? Which what's the tech support version of that? So this is I've heard this from a couple of separate tech support people uh and, which is that if you if you have a, somebody and you're on tech support call and you're trying to help them with something and you're pretty sure the problem is that it's not plugged in, people get very upset if you ask them if it's plugged in oh, because yes. you know yeah. that's really insulting that you hadn't even checked if it was plugged in and so they'll encourage you to if you could just go around the back and if you could just unplug it and then and then just plug it back in for me again and then they they whatever percentage of the time often a high percentage of the time will go back and they'll be like oh yeah I'll just do that and they'll be like oh yeah yeah that, that fixed it uh, um yeah okay bye that's brilliant because I worked briefly in IT uh, right it, it was for a law firm and uh, and I was the only IT person and the number of times that it was like they called me to their desk and then all I did was like press the on button or plug it in or whatever it was like a, a very high percentage Sometimes you're just there to take the parking brake off. That's all you got to do. Sometimes. But if you could just tell them, can you engage the parking brake and then disengage it for me? <laughs> then you get that action. I have to say, though, I think that, you know, the parking brake on this particular car is also at least partially at fault because it's not a big lever. It's like a tiny button and it's very subtle in whether it's like it, you would think like in my mind, if you're. If if the parking brake is on and the car starts to drive, then you either have you have basically have two options as the maker of a modern car. And the options are either beep and complain about the parking brake being on, which is reasonable. <laughs> We've got to get more beeping. Or turn the parking brake off. 
Those seem like both reasonable. Well, right. I think I feel like tr- arbitrarily turning the parking brake off is like a little dicey. I'm talking about after a few meters, <laughs> though. Like if the person drives for some distance, like just turn it off because like clearly they're doing something. <laughs> I would say I would say obviously number one beeping at them is better, but I think that that we can both agree that the that the wrong answer, which is the answer of this car, is do nothing. Yeah, I'll definitely agree with you on that. As much as like I feel like my car beeps at me more than it needs to, right. I would sign up for a parking. Your parking brake is on, and you have driven an entire mile. Yeah, you might destroy beep. this car. I should probably tell you, and I know that, and I should probably the tell you. The glue is melting on the brake. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't blame, you know, I, I'm not saying that it would have happened to anyone. I think, you know, it, it depends on, it's a confluence of circumstances, but I'm not really blaming my my guests. I'm, I'm blaming the car. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of one of the, that's how we build better stuff is we figure out, like, the ways that lets us do things that shouldn't have been done in the first place. Right, like, if they knew or, you know, whatever, like, they wouldn't have done it. Well, that's fine, but, like, that's not... The car no the car has all the information. I think about this a lot, you know, both of us, uh, in, in case it's not abundantly clear by the rest of our conversation, work as, you know, software engineers to some capacity. And I think this about this a lot. Like if if the if we have all the information, I'm not saying we should make the choice for you. I think that's the last resort, but at least let you make a good choice. Yeah. Yeah, narrow it down. Yeah, just help you Here, out. Here's your choices. Do you want to light the car on fire or do you wanna like maybe <laughs> actually just have it turn the brain break off? Exactly. Yeah, because it yeah. knows. Yeah, it knows. It knows what's happening. Cool. Yeah. That was a fun fact. Thanks. So I've got a fun fact. Oh, cool. Fun fact. Canada has a cheese cartel. Okay. Yes. So I know a little bit about this because you have told me about it. I've complained about this to you, but it's since become international news. Yeah. The the Economist is talking about it. The BBC was talking about Canada's cheese cartel. Uh, So I figured now is a good time. As someone who's written about this, as someone who's thought about this, for a while it's it's actually pretty cool because i am not uh always up on my like international trade relations you know oh, often well really you know i try i try to cover all every all 185 countries <laughs> stay completely up to date. trade with every other country <laughs> but occasionally something just kind of slips by and yeah. this time when i can like actually form an opinion about it um the basic story behind it is that in the 60s there dairy farmers uh mostly of quebec which is the sort of occasionally separatist uh province of of canada but with like a large population a big part of the economy you know they wanted uh, dairy prices to be more stable because there was too much competition and there was a little too much milk in the system and so the government came in and said okay we're gonna put on quotas okay what does that mean a quota just being, you know, you are not allowed, this industry can't make more than this amount of, in this case, milk. Oh, so like the way that the way, like, way like OPEC will control how exactly. much oil or the diamond, the De Beers family is basically exactly. falsifying how many diamonds there are. Yeah. And so OPEC and uh, De Beers uh, are, are, you know, arguably monopoly, monopolistic, um, but they're cartels, right? Like they're yeah, yeah. organizations that attempt to control the, as much as possible, but like more than 50% of the supply of a thing and then co- collaborate in order to push up the price of that thing, um, yeah. which is within a, a, a an economy is often illegal. Um, but sometimes governments can come in and say, actually, we're going to intentionally make a cartel uh, in order to get the votes of the people who run the cartel, which, you know, is the kind of thing you'd sort of expect to happen in, a, a, you know, in some sort of a banana republic. But uh, it is actually a, a dairy republic. We have 245% tariff on on milk that is not produced by the 245 percent well that's not quite true it's actually 245.5 percent 245 (laughs) percent so hold on so like like in denmark i don't know if you know this in denmark they have like a 200 percent i think it's like 200 percent this is a great opportunity for someone to fact check me and tell me i'm wrong but there was like a 200 percent or something tariff on cars oh really yeah you don't see a lot of cars in the streets of like copenhagen at least i didn't when i was there and it's because cars are very very expensive that's an expensive thing to put because if you make my milk costs like five dollars instead of two dollars or you're still gonna buy it i'm gonna get milk but if you make my car cost like seventy thousand dollars instead of thirty thousand dollars i'm just gonna not have a car not have a car wait so so uh, hold on so that i understand how that would so 245 (laughs) percent that's a big excuse me 0.5 we should really round 245 and this is all about this is all about accuracy this show yeah 245.5 percent tariff It, it i can see how that would help uh the people selling you the milk yes but doesn't that hurt the people who need milk Right, but or it helps the people who are selling milk, and isn't that 
everybody really deep are down we, inside. Are you a milk salesman? <laughs> so uh, the the theory is <laughs> a milk reseller. <laughs> I'm a milk reseller on commission. Uh, well, you know, it costs eighty dollars for a pint of milk. So um, no. no, the 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 long time the reason it's been hard to get rid of this is because a lot of the dairy in Canada is produced in these like few little areas of this uh, politically sensitive area that everyone like. It's kind of a swing. You know, this sort of maybe the ah, more kind of yes. a swing state. It's not the a state, swing. but it's like the ridings. So it's like, yeah. uh, you know, it's like, you know, 40% this party, 40% this, per- yes. this party, and 10% dairy farmers, dairy farmers right? Farmers, There's yeah. not that many dairy farmers, but they're all kind of concentrated in a few areas. Uh, and they'll just vote for whoever will give them better subsidies. And most of the economy is not set up that way. But once you have this entire thing, like, so... Like, you know how taxi uh, medallions in a lot of cities, especially like historically, would get so expensive oh, yeah. that you'd have to like take out giant loans and like remortgage your house and get a million dollars into debt sometimes to get a taxi medallion. But then you have it for the rest of your career. It's like you, that's how you made it. But there's a very small they keep the supply artificially constrained, exactly. even, even at times when we really need. Uh, by the way, that is what led to the rise of Uber. Yes, uh, because that that's what was going on in San Francisco. Right. And that was happening in a lot of the major cities. And so we had the same thing happen. You know, in Canada, there's a milk, there's like a cow medallion. There's a cow. I don't know if they make a literal medallion. I hope, I think I'm going to go I with want yes. a medallion. Yeah. I'm going to, we're going to get a fact check. We're going to, let's start a Canadian dairy company. And then we'll At Fun Fact FM, if you can find photos of the dairy medallion, send them over. We'll put them in the show notes. Or if you, or if you start a new, if you start a new dairy company. Well, the thing is, you can start a new dairy company, but if you're not playing by the rules, then my understanding is you get the 245.5% tax. That's oh, where even that comes on in. internal dairy, even if I was making dairy internally, but trying to sell it at a lower price or whatever. I, I believe that's the way it works. And so effectively, there's no point. Like, I don't think pretty much anything comes in that actually gets that 245.5%. Like, maybe like ultra, ultra fancy French cheese that's like $40. So now it's $100. And it's like, well, whatever, people are going to pay for it. But I, th- I think for the, my, understanding slash assumption has been that like 245.5 percent is so high because there is non-tariffed cheese that at that point if they're if they someone can't get normal cheese they'll just won't buy cheese or the the but what's stopping me from moving back to like bellingham or something and just running like a tillamook outlet and uh (laughs) and just and just selling underpriced cheese the way that some people go from to canada from like wisconsin or something to buy uh, prescription drugs so that is exactly what has in various ways happened. So we so Bellingham is just like a like a 45 minute drive. So Bellingham, Washington, on the other side of the, the US Canada border is like a very reasonable drive from here. And so we will have people, especially depending on the Canadian US dollar, will people driving down mostly just to buy cheese or like yogurt is a common one or and they maybe get some gas depending on because the US has like kind of subsidized gas as well. Very subsidized. Or at least less gas taxes. No, very subsidized yeah and so like yeah get some some gas and some milk the two (laughs) the two most valuable commodities uh do you get like extra gas do you bring like a gas can um i've seen people do that i don't i think most people just wait till they're low and then they'll go down oh and then just make it part of their part of their trip yeah um then that that falls in and out of favor depending on the exchange rate but the cheese difference is often big enough or and milk and these kind of things it's often different if that um people will do it and then there's also the the history of circumstances where people will come up with schemes schemes yeah so like i like anything that starts with schemes it's kind of automatically good right yeah it's at least i'm interested so so there was a like scheme where someone realized a few years back that in the the tariff rules is 245.5 percent or actually varying up and down in that range for different classifications of of dairy but that those are on dairy items but if you have a pre-packaged food assembly item then that is not taxed at yeah, it, is it even cheese anyway at that point? isn't it even cheese anyway and so uh so something like that has very like you know those little those little kid snacks that have like you know the little crackers and the cheese and the little uh red those are so good the handy snacks you're talking ha- about the handy, handy snacks They're the delicious. handy snacks so the handy snacks are not a dairy product. No, they're, they're definitely not. I mean, no. besides the fact of what the, what percentage of them are milk, but they're also just they're a snack. They're considered a snack, right? Oh, ah, okay. I see and so saying. what people were doing, people who were like would run pizzerias, especially like a little more like kind of basement level pizzerias, mm. is they would go over in like a van um, 
into Bellingham and they would buy all of they could find of these like cheese preparation or uh, rather they would buy these pizza preparation kits okay that would have like a, a pizza shell and then they would have like a little bit some tomato sauce and they would have some some mozzarella cheese already pre-shredded and ready to go in this package very convenient for you know parents on the go yeah, sure. or uh in bulk if you are a if you have a cheese scheme because then you can bring it across the border and then they're like oh do you have anything to declare do you have any dairy nope just uh 45 pizza assembly kits um, literally all the ones I could find. Oh, so they were they were admitting what they were bringing. They, it wasn't like they were like, hopefully they don't look at my suitcase. Well, they would they, like it would be within the limit of what they were allowed to bring. So they 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 often ask. You're like, only allowed forty five, not forty six. <laughs> By the way, the best thing I've heard all day is someone saying cheese scheme. Like that's just, <laughs> that's great. You got to have at least one cheese scheme once in a while. I try so, to keep a few running at the same time. Yeah, I mean you got to balance them out because when they close one loophole, they open another one. And so people were bringing in entire vans of these things, and then they would get to their pizza place, throw away the pizza shells and the tomato sauce because that's not that's not worth. No, anything. you could get that in Canada for normal money. Yeah, exactly. And so you just have the sweet, sweet uh, cheese, American cheese. Oh my god, uh, American mozzarella in in uh, your pizzas, and you're saving all this money. So uh, they eventually closed that that loophole. Um, but now, then more recently, after they closed the loophole, there uh-huh. was actually a police officer in in Ontario that was arrested for smuggling in cheese and not declaring it, like not paying the the tariff. So, so, so here we'll sometimes get cops that were actually selling the drugs they confiscated or. This and that. The big thing in Canada is cops smuggling cheese. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what's really. I mean, like drugs. Like you can get drugs, like whatever. But cheese. Okay, but so here in the in the in the United States, we have like uh, we have pizza places like like Pizza Hut and Little Caesars and stuff. And and through a variety of of cost competitions over the years, you can get like a large pizza uh, covered in cheese for five dollars. <laughs> no. Yes, five dollar American for a large pizza? pizza for a large pizza. Uh, yeah, that's that would be very unusual. I mean, there's a Canadian U.S. dollar, so like five dollars American is about four or five hundred dollars Canadian. But <laughs> <laughs> so, this, but I mean, no, like seriously, hi, they're called hot and ready. They're five dollars, and they're you know, I'm not going to pretend to you that they're like the best pizza, but they're very eatable, and I mean, they're covered in cheese, like like wall to wall cheese. <laughs> $5. So actually, something interesting. So, the, so you know, pizza is more. I mean, I make fun of uh, Boston Pizza, which is this pizza chain in Canada, which is I mean, it's a sit down restaurant. It's not like a hot and ready. You go okay. and grab it, um, but they charge like thirty dollars for a large pizza, and it's like not particularly good pizza. That's not to say that's the cheapest pizza you can get, um, right. but that's like my punching bag for for uh, pizza price mockery. I have heard about this place because I work with some people who are from British Columbia, and they do say that it's worth it. They love. They, they say pizza. it's worth. They love Boston pizza. Uh, uh, that seems crazy <laughs> to me. I mean, thirty dollars for like a medium level pizza, even Canadian dollars. I think that's what twelve cents, something like that. But I still not worth it. No, not worth it. And and the the, the an interesting thing that happens when you have markets where there's a a built-in tax basically is that uh you will get actually a higher end market and so the same thing happens with like canadian liquor um so in 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 bc at least in british columbia there's like a uh in some cases 50 percent or 100 percent tax on certain kinds of alcohol and so if a bottle of vodka has let's say like a 26 ounce bottle of vodka if that has 15 dollars of tax on it then there's no like there's no real demand for this seven dollar bottle of vodka with fifteen dollars right. of tax because it's awful and it's still it's still expensive like it's still twenty two dollars yeah so you might as well get the good you know there was uh my parents uh, bought a house at one point in in uh, in St Louis Missouri and they were doing a remodel of like one of the bathrooms and when they took out the tub they found a bottle of pre prohibition gin. And, oh, uh, and someone stashed it away. Someone stashed it away while they were working, and then it ended up being built into the house. It was super cool. But my mom like did some investigation into the 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 company to see if they were still around or whatever. And what she found out was that it, so it claimed to be Canadian gin. But what we learned, and I certainly didn't know this, was that in the pre-prohibition era, I think this was like the nineteen teens, uh, Canadian gin was like really high quality gin and much much better than American gin, and so. <laughs> American companies would sell their gin with Canadian 
like fake Canadian names oh, to try to like <laughs> to get more Canadian. people to buy their yeah to get more people to buy their gin. So this was a fake Canadian gin that that was in this bottle. <laughs> great. I just thought that was so great. Like I, man, history, history in the making or history in the revealing. Yeah, well, the prohibition has like created uh, or did create a bunch of thrash, obviously, in the companies that were like succeeding and falling. So a couple times I've seen someone link up. Oh, oh the great story of how this one uh, great maker of whiskey or whatever had failed or succeeded because of of prohibition, either the, how they got it through the storm or how they were completely destroyed by the fickle vote. Yeah, I have one more question for you about this uh, cheese thing, though. Yes. So we have a like a shared place where we keep our show notes. Yes. And uh and and there's some stuff about this and it's all very interesting and you've covered pretty much all of it and it's really it's really crazy. But the last one says that the people of Alberta, which is a Canadian uh is it a state? It's a province. It's a province. Yeah, okay. Like the equivalent of a state. So the Canadian province of Alberta, it says that Albertans were mad at you. Me. Yes. Yeah. They were mad at you because American milk is full of chemicals. They were. So, <laughs> so I want to know why Albertans were mad at you. So they were. And so what happened is that uh, maybe about a year ago, I wrote up this thing because this long kind of bothered me. We didn't yeah. even really get into the international trade dispute part of it. Oh, yeah, this, we, gotta, we do need to get into that a little bit. But <laughs> so, let's cover the, them being mad at you first. So I wrote this thing about how the, there's a cheese cartel and how it's how it's uh, ridiculous and how it causes uh, trade tensions and how it increases the price of cheese, which should be immoral, is immoral because cheese is amazing um, and all these things. And the the post got more attention than my average post. And so it was got kind of seen outside of my, my friends and family, people who know me. And okay. so a lot of people were angry at me, assuming I was an American that didn't understand how great Canadian dairy was. Oh, that's awesome. And so I was getting these emails and mostly emails. I'm not sure yeah. if they have Twitter in Alberta. Um, <laughs> but, but Trans Canada shaming. I love it. Trans Canada. I mean, to you, it's equivalent to like if you're making fun of Montana and I'm like, I know I have no opinion. I don't know anything about Montana. Right. No, no. I, yeah. Alberta. I bet they're great. Um, but the, the like dairy industry is, is pretty big in Alberta and also in Quebec, but I guess maybe they speak French so they weren't reading my article. Um, mm. But the Albertans were sending me these things like, oh, it's not like you can't compare American pizza prices to Canadian pizza prices because uh, American pizzas or uh, cheese is full of all these chemicals. And they're like linking me all the like studies that show how much chemicals and hormones and various like thickeners and thinners and stuff that are in American milk. And apparently that is actually one of the reasons why it is uh you know, some percentage of the price difference in American milk and Canadian milk is that in America they're a little more lax about what you can put into we, something and call it milk. We don't, you know, my wife always says like in Europe they have to prove something's safe before they can have it, and here mm. they have to prove something's unsafe before they <laughs> before can stop they stop feeding it. it to children. Yeah, but why? How did you know they were from Alberta? It's like one of those, like, how do you know someone's from Texas? Yeah, they like to tell you. They'll tell you. Yeah. Well, in Alberta, we... Blah, blah, blah. Ah, and, like, you can sure. hear the cowboy hat. He threw the email. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, like, the stampede's, like, the biggest thing in Calgary, Yeah. Right? So they, they are the Texas of Canada. They're definitely the Texas uh, of Canada. And, I, I you know, my, my grandparents live in Alberta, so I, I get oh, some okay. some doses of, of the, the fun kind of flip side of, of uh, non-coastal elite... <laughs> You know, the 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 bulk of the country. Real Canadians. Real Canadians, yeah. Yeah, everyday um, Canadians. As, of course, each province has their own personal opinion of why they're the real Canadians. Of, of course. Wait, so what's going on with this? So, but this was all affected by... Is this still true now that we're in a post-NAFTA world? Yeah, well, the, <laughs> the entire uh, Canadian uh, op-ed industry is collapsing um, because of all the opinion pieces that can no longer be written about what NAFTA should or shouldn't be or <laughs> w- what we should or shouldn't do about Trump's NAFTA negotiations. And now it's just, yeah, they're all just in the street. Uh, yeah, so the, it seems like it's mostly settled. It's not actually ratified, but um, okay. they basically, uh, I don't know, we've we'll, got to make a call on this show about how much we want to dig into politics. But We're not uh, a political podcast. We're not a political podcast. I mean, we could We could put... We should put some banned topics in, like programming is probably a banned topic. Oh, yeah. No one wants to hear us talk about that. Um, <laughs> no. 
but the the upshot of the NAFTA thing is that basically my understanding is that uh, that Trump did not want it to be called NAFTA, and so it's called the U.S. something something something. So it's named after America now, uh, and it's basically NAFTA, except it has no. A hold tweets. on, oh, hold on, hold on a second. Listen, I I am not a fan of anything particularly, but I do want, I do like accuracy. And I believe that the actual agreement has the names of all three countries in it. Yeah, but it starts with the U.S. So that's well, okay, yeah, <laughs> that is true. Yeah, it's a U.S. Canada Mexico agreement or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Although I originally thought it was, I think it's the U.S. Mexico Canada agreement. Yeah, I think it's U.S. MCA. And yeah. I really wanted it to. I thought initially, initially it was like just United States Mexico Canada, but of course then it would be MX. It would be U.S. MXCA. So because U.S. MCA is United States uh, Mexico mm, Canada mm, Agreement. Mm. Yes, I thought the A was part of Canada. Uh, no, it's the agreement letter. And so the what that agreement basically says, as I understand it, is like basically the same as NAFTA with like a couple tweaks around the edges, just to be like, no, no, no we change it. It's good now. Um, and uh, one of those tweaks is uh, it lets like three percent of Canada's dairy market uh, opens them up to tariff-free American cheese and dairy products. So. Uh, it's just going to be a a, a wave, a free of for all, hormonal, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> diluted American cheese, and I'm sure it will be delicious. Well, I'm so excited. Does this mean the prices will normalize then? They may decrease by three percent. Oh, three percent! I didn't. I somehow I missed that detail. Yeah, well, you know, it's like a negotiation of like percent by percent, and that's often how these like f- trade things go. It's like, okay, well, the tariff is this, so we'll increase it by four percent. Well, no, one percent, no, three point two five, oh, two point one seven, and like you get these really arbitrary. That's how we end up having two hundred and forty five point five percent. I missed that detail because I was going to usmca.org. And you're going to read the entire <laughs> trade agreement. No, 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 no. See, that is not about this new agreement. The USMCA.org is the United States Motorcycle Coaching Association. <laughs> oh, but that's way cooler. I know. <laughs> I'd be way more excited if that's what we announced. Oh, man. Yeah. We got to get that in next. We got to get that in next. Well, that is a crazy, crazy, crazy story. The other thing people were mad at me about when I posted this cheese cartel thing and like how it works or whatever is there a bunch of people who are, who are also Canadians uh, were like, this is, you know, you're one to talk. Americans have the drug cartel. I'm like, that's a real cartel. Can, you know, the Canadian dairy people don't kill anyone, so they're not a cartel. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's basically like you have to literally kill people. Yeah. The only criminals are murderers? Like if I yeah, just that kind do whatever. Of thing. Okay. I think I disagree. Yeah, I think I disagree with that. <laughs> Whether the economic definition of a cartel depends on on murder. On murder. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think it does. I'm going to go out. I'm going to be way out on a limb. But if again at Fun Fact FM, if uh, if you think we're wrong, uh, well, I, I'll tell you what, Alan. I think we have time maybe for one more fun fact. I have a fun fact for you. Okay. What's yeah? My fun fact for you, and I, maybe you already know this. I don't know. But is that uh, Japanese people, when they answer the phone, they say mushy mushy, which means hello, hello. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, so th- that's, that is the simplest explanation of what it means. It actually but, means... But why, why twice, though? Yeah, we're, we're going to get into why twice. <laughs> Before we get into why twice, though, it's good to know what it means at all, right? Okay. So mushy mushy doesn't actually mean hello, hello. That's like the, that's like the colloquial meaning. Right. What it actually means is you basically are saying to the person, and this is relevant for the at least at least some of the explanations. Basically, what you're saying is, "I'm going to talk." Okay. Yeah, it seems like a reasonable thing to. Yeah, but you say it twice. You say, "I'm going to talk." I'm going to talk. Uh, and it, it's it, the the history of like how it got to be that the word mushy that we use that they use twice is like historical, and it, and it has to do with like back in the like Edo period with samurais and stuff. There was a much longer version that you would say it and wait you wait, wait. they it. had phones in the head no 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 no, no. so okay so okay so historically the word mushy comes from a verb musu i'm i'm apologies for my i am studying japanese but i probably am butchering the pronunciation sounds perfect to me and thank you and that's like a really humble way to say that you're going to say something right and back in the edo period which was a period from like the early 1600s to like the late 1800s and it was like a very uh, society was very kind of rigidly organized in a caste system. You would say to anyone who was superior to you in the caste system, you would say mushiagemas, which was like shortened eventually to mushi, and it was kind of meant like hello or hey, right? Right. But so, so nowadays we've got Japanese people answering the phone 
with Mushy Mushy. And they don't do it all the time. They don't do it if like a telemarketer calls. And they don't do it if like a business calls. They only do it if friends or family call. I do enjoy it in the Japanese language. And like when I was in Japan, all these very specific rules, which they were very um, patient with me failing at and, and oh, yeah. being and not, not understanding them as a dumb, dumb foreigner. No, but, I've heard they're nice about that if, if they know that there's no way you would know, yeah, which is very nice were, of them because they yeah. don't have to be that way. I don't think Americans are like that. Yeah. But then I would hear a story about like, oh, how offensive it was when, you know, somebody would do this, but then they'd use a slightly wrong level of honorific uh, <laughs> and then they would agree to something after only protesting once. But it really, in that circumstance, they should have protested three times before agreeing. And like, yeah. I find the the like all the construct of that social stuff uh, fascinating. Yeah, so uh, me too. And so I was really curious why. But I what, what I was really curious about is the same thing you asked about, which is like, why are they saying it twice? I yeah. get that they're trying to be polite, but why twice? So i i did some I did some research into this, and uh, and I found I found basically like four answers. That seems like a lot. That's a lot of answers. And the thing is, nobody knows for sure. But the first answer is, I think actually the second answer I'm going to tell you is my favorite, but the first one's really good. So apparently, so apparently in Japanese culture, uh, there are these foxes. The Kitsune thing? Kitsune Kitsune. foxes. Yeah, good job. So they, they, they will try to trick you. So foxes and they're turning into people all the time. Sounds like the kind of thing a fox would do. They're trying to trick people out of stuff. It does seem very fox oriented. Uh, and apparently when a fox turns into a person, it can only speak in partial sentences. Okay. So if you say mushy mushy twice, it proves you're not a fox. they can only say mushy once <laughs> and then you know that they're a fox and they're trying to trick you. Uh, so you're just making sure that everyone knows you're not a, a sneaky fox. No, no, no. So in, in this one, you're not making sure you're trying to make sure that they're not a fox. Oh, so they have to say mushy mushy back. In yeah, order. You, it's like if you say it to them and, and they say it back, like then they, they can't say it. Or maybe just when they call you on the phone and or you call them on the phone and then they can't say it. I guess that's a good point. Yeah, I guess they're trying to prove that they're not a fox to you. Right. It's, it's like sides. the shibboleth of Japan, right? Like it's, <laughs> yeah. So, huh. so that's the first explanation, which I think is amazing. The second explanation is sort of similar. And it, the, apparently uh, Japan is beset by ghosts. Uh, there's a lot of ghosts in Japan. I countered this when I was there. Yeah, and a, a, but a Japanese ghost can only say mushy once, similar to a fox. <laughs> okay. And so if you're walking around on the street at night or you're talking on the phone or something and you tell them, if you say mushy mushy, then the person you're talking to knows you're not a ghost. Right. Okay. So it's, it's related to the, the first one. Yeah. So there's maybe, like that sort of implies that probably there's other, there's other uh, beings yeah. in addition maybe to foxes and ghosts that can only say mushy once. And so you're sort of protecting from that category of potential suspicion. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, there's, there's in all these cases, you know, it's, it's a sort of a password to make sure that you know who you're talking to. And apparently like, especially back in the Edo days, I mentioned when people were just walking around at night, dark streets, you know, they didn't have uh, streetlights and stuff. The person saying it would put you at ease because then you would know they weren't a ghost or a fox or a, or a fox. That's a good point. Uh, Now those are the two kind of like uh, fanciful explanations. But I, I think I like the uh, more, I'm not going to say plausible because I don't want to imply that I don't think that there are foxes and ghosts. Uh, I, I, I would never suggest that. Well, I don't know about foxes. but <laughs> Yeah, the fox doesn't sound like a real thing. Uh, an animal called a fox? That doesn't, no. But uh, apparently before people would say mushy mushy, people would say oi oi. Hmm. And, but that was like only something that you could say like when telephones first came around people would answer the telephone they wouldn't say mushy mushy they would say oi oi but oi oi is like a pretty not polite way to say it right and it was fine originally because only like really rich people had telephones so they were all on the same social class so they could do it and they weren't offending anyone right because uh, they were all of the same fancy layer. As exactly. So they all knew that it was fine. Like you're talking to someone at the same at the same cast layer as you. But when when telephone switching happened, like when they started installing big telephone networks, the telephone operators were asked were told by their 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 that they were supposed to answer conversations when they were connecting people with Mushiage Masa instead because they might be talking to a rich person. Sure. And yeah. they are they themselves were not of the same social class, so they had to. Make sure that it was known that they were respectfully talking to. And it was also a customer. You know, it's good to be respectful to your customers. Yeah, yeah. And eventually that was shortened again 
to Musu Musu for male operators and Mushi Mushi for female operators, but there were way more female operators than male operators. So eventually Mushi Mushi just became what you say for everyone. Uh, and I think that's the most plausible explanation. But I and, and then I can't find, I searched high and low. can't find a reference to this, but I know I learned it at one point, which was also that, because all of that is sort of, interesting but it doesn't explain the telephone version doesn't explain again why are we saying it twice yeah yeah and apparently and i again i don't know where i learned this and i can't find any reference to it so if someone (laughs) wants to contact us and let me know that i'm either totally wrong or point me in the direction of where i learned this but that uh early telephone networks much like in the united states and japan were not great and Mm, they would say mushy mushy twice to make sure that the person that was on the other end heard them that's super plausible yeah, I think that that to me is the most most plausible uh, explanation for this this whole uh, situation. And then finally, I just want to slip this in. Apparently, similarly, the police in Japan also used to say "oi oi" when they would uh, stop people on the street. They say that in uh, Scotland too, when they get you. <laughs> but it, but in the, in 1913, there were so many complaints from people that that was rude that the police mm. commissioner announced that the officers wouldn't do that anymore and instead they would say mushy mushy if they were trying to get someone's attention or to stop a robbery <laughs> it's the stop word it's just, yeah, it's like, robbing you yeah. shoving things into stacks just mushy, the mushy, guys have the robbery stuff <laughs> the masks on and then everyone just stops yeah like, and apparently well. that's not in 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 use anymore by the police but i thought that was pretty great so so that's my that's my final uh, fun fact for the evening that's good. I like that. I, I enjoy hearing about the different layers. I mean, maybe as a Canadian, I have a predisposition to appreciating politeness, uh, yeah. but all the various ways that that can like uh, format itself uh, in other cultures is awesome. Yeah, it's so great. You know what that reminds me of? Uh, here's a, like a, huh. a min- another fun fact. Okay. Uh, bento box, uh-huh. which we all know, you know, the little box if you yeah. get Japanese food. Bento box means box box because bento <laughs> means box. <laughs> so that's, that is pretty. That's great. all I have. I don't have. I don't have a twenty minute no, no, monologue no, no. about why, is, <laughs> why we just call it box box. Well, not everything needs to be a full explanation. <laughs> that I will say this. I you know probably we will come back to uh, uh, things that you say in Japan somewhat often because as I said I'm learning Japanese. But there's like so many wonderful things like that where like the the way that you say something the the, char- the specific characters that you combine to say it are are repeating things in that fashion and it's i i think it's extremely delightful i want to get i want to put on your list the one of my, my favorites it was the when you go into the store and they're like Arashimashi, or i don't know exactly i can't say it properly in in japanese but they they greet you in this way in the store that as i understand it you're not supposed to like you're not supposed to respond like the idea is that you're they're like one-upping you in their customer service and if you like in japanese because I always felt like I need to respond, but then they like, then they feel like they want to like respond, respond. Cause like they're supposed to get the last word in welcoming oh. you more than you. If you accept their welcome, yeah. it's like, it's like, imagine if they, you know, they, they said, thank you. And you're like, you're welcome. And they're like, you're very welcome. Like they have to have the last. <laughs> then you have to say, no, 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 no. Yeah, and then they are annoying. Very welcome. <laughs> no, no. And then you never, yeah, there's, th- it is interesting. Like we make a lot of assumptions. Uh, I think everyone makes a lot of assumptions about these kind of things. If you're used to sort of your country and many other countries, maybe you've been to have a similar style of things. Like for, for example, maybe another, I lied. I have another fun fact. Um, in, uh, in most countries that I know of, including the United States, if someone says, even if you don't speak the language, if someone says, uh, hello to you or goodbye, you can just repeat what they said back to you. Like if you visit Spain or something and they say hello or goodbye to you, you can just repeat what they said to them and you'll be perfectly polite and you'll you'll get along even if you don't speak Spanish. But that is not true in Turkey. So like if someone in Turkey says goodbye and you're like goodbye, you've like I just like insulted their family. Well, you haven't ins- <laughs> you haven't insulted their family, but you don't say that the person saying it first and the person who's saying it second don't say the same thing. Oh, right. So then you're just being an adult. Well, like, for example, the person, if you're saying goodbye to someone, the person who leaves says one thing, and the person who's staying says something else. So it's like when people say, happy birthday, and you're like, happy birthday. Yeah, or like like, you're at the airport, and they're like, have a good flight, and you're like, (laughs) you you, you too, and then it's like, wait, you work here, you're probably not, I mean, you might be flying today, but you're probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, if you, if someone, so anyway, so for our listeners out there, if someone in Turkey says, hoş geldiniz to you, you say, hoş bulduk. 
not uh, you don't repeat what they say. That's that, that's good to know because I always say <laughs> whenever always that happens say, to me, I always say the first always, thing you say. You always do the you always do it wrong. Whenever I am in Turkey, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. We've all we've all learned something today. I've learned something about you and your way of greeting people. Fun fact: you can wash a broom. Uh, what does that mean? <laughs> I know I didn't realize this either. You can literally, if you own a broom, yeah, and it gets dirty. So, so this came out of my my wife and I. I, was, I had this broom, and I, I would sweep, and I would sweep, and as you do when you have a broom, and I would pull the fluff out of it, and and yeah. the dirt. But the the broom was just kind of getting grosser and grosser, and yeah. it's hard to actually. Pull That's what happens it. to brooms, right? And then I we'd had this broom for like years and years. Yeah, this is the I, typical broom story, right? And then I was like, ah, we need to get a new broom. Yeah, and she's like, yeah, like we should put that on the list. And then like after a couple few days of it being on the list i'm like oh i should get another broom and then i'm looking at the broom I'm like can you wash a broom <laughs> she's like um I, I i guess you could and then i and then so i just like put it in some water and then it was clean and it took like five seconds and then <laughs> and then we had a clean broom <laughs> can you wash a broom and the answer is yes but you know so i just put in can you wash a into my search engine Okay, and, and please I got tell me down comforter, electric okay. electric blanket. I'm gonna say uh, no. On I'm that gonna one. go no on that one. This is the lightning round. Feather yeah. pillow. No backpack in the washing machine. I'll go yes on that. Memory foam pillow. <laughs> I say I. That's a little harder, but I would say probably don't do that. I feel like it'll be wet for a long time. <laughs> There's also a wake up wiki how article called how to clean brooms. That maybe you looked at when you did this. No, I just put it in, literally just put it in a bucket of water. And then yeah, the dirt that's, just that's came method out. two. Is <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What's the other way? Removing the What's debris from the room. What you were doing for years. <laughs> yeah. You could vacuum the bristles. You could bang your broom on a hard surface. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Wiki how providing the deep insight. <laughs> but then washing your room. Did you do it with so- dish soap and warm water? Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, okay. And then you yeah. soak it for an hour and then you rinse it. Oh, I super didn't do that part. You but... need to disinfect the handle. Did you disinfect the handle? <laughs> uh, no, this handle is now just deeply <laughs> cultured with even more infected. years of whatever. Yeah. It says you need to clean it every three months. So I'm going to break something to you that you may not realize that WikiHow okay. <laughs> is not the most, you know, trustworthy source on the internet well but on the left on the right side of the page i can tell them if the article helped me and i'm gonna say yes and they said hooray we're glad we helped